stargazers, welcome to 7th House Astrology, where I take any topic that is astrological or any topic related to relationships and romance. I investigate it under the lens of Sinistry Astrology, otherwise known as Love or Relationship Astrology. I am your host, Sandra Misek, and I'm so glad that you guys have joined me for today. So, stargazers, uh, this week we are continuing on with the sinistry charts of a court of the main characters in a court of thorns and roses. So the, it would be as follows. There's Thera and Tamlin, Thera and Rasand, and then Tamlin and Amarantha as well too. Now with these charts, I, what I thought would be fun and kind of the biggest burning question on my mind when it comes to a court of thorns and roses and also kind of moving into a court of mist and fury uh, if these relationships are actually healthy or if there's a lot to be worked on, you know, if it's a very unhealthy relationship and if there are similar aspects in a chart, what exactly could be worked on when it comes to making the relationship a little bit healthier. I do also want to say for those of you who are still reading A Court of Thorns and Roses um, and also even A Court of Mist and Fury, there are some spoiler alerts because I am um, pulling from the novels. So if you do want to pause this uh, particular episode and continue on when you have read the novels, you're more than welcome to. I would hate to give a spoiler alert, especially if you're in the middle of a great you know, great piece of literature as well, too. But with that said, let's go ahead and dive in. So I'd like to start off with Thera and Tamlin, since this is obviously the first relationship that we are exposed to in A Court of Thorns and Roses. Um, and also, you know, it's kind of the, the main uh, point or the kind of the main relationship. I know Feyre and Rasan's relationship comes a lot later in the novel, and then also Amarantha and Tamlin's relationship also starts to reveal itself in the novel as well, too. But with Feyre and Tamlin, the first couple things that struck me was that, you know, when it, when it comes down to Tamlin, uh, his son being in Taurus, as we had theorized uh, from la from the last episode, is actually hitting right outside of Feyre's fifth house. So, I mean, this is within relationships. I kind of consider the fifth house to be, again, kind of full of passion and kind of full of vigor, very much like the eighth house where, you know, again, the eighth house is full of passion but also full of obsession um, as well, too. But I kind of feel that when it comes to this fifth house, you know, ruled by Leo, fifth house is usually ruled by kind of like fun and games. Um, usually it's a great house to determine dating, you know, whether it's a good time to date, whether it's not due to the transits in the house. And also um, it's a good you know, house to indicate whether or not uh, children are very favorable or in the forecast for the future. Now, within this relationship, though, with Tamlin, I, I do see this as being just kind of like flirtatious, being very fun, um, especially as we advance in A Court of Thorns and Roses. I know that Feyre doesn't trust Tamlin at first because he is a fae. But um, as the relationship develops, it's more kind of like a, a flirtation, 
like both persons are trying to get to know one another and really just um, kind of acclimate to each other. You know, while Tamlin can have a very romantic streak, um, what I see, I don't really see a lot going on within the sun in the fifth house. I see this being a very flirtatious, kind of flirty, romantic sort of a relationship. The other thing that kind of struck me, so there's like two positions in, in Tamlin's chart. Um, so I, I theorized that actually because I, I theorized that uh, his son would be squared Pluto due to the dynamics with his dad, there is not only his son's position in Taurus, it indicates this, but also... But in his chart, Venus is also um, trined Pluto as well, too. Now, while this can be a very good and favorable aspect, the one thing that I see the biggest with Tamlin is that there's a lot of possessiveness, especially in regards towards Feyre. Um, you know, I think the, the shadow side of Taurus definitely comes out of him. And like I said, I'm not saying that all Taurians are possessive. But Taurians, when in their shadow side, can become possessive of those with whom they love. And they have a hard time kind of trusting that those with whom they love, like say that they call somebody, that person doesn't really answer right off the first ring. They might get a little leery that this person might be cheating. Um, they might get a little leery that their intimacy with this person was maybe, you know, a little too forward, a little too fast. Um, maybe it was instigated a little too quickly, but normally with Torians, they have, it's kind of like they get like a sense of possessiveness and a sense of control over those with whom they love. And I see this a lot with Tamlin. Now, while it may not be that Pharaoh's not picking up the phone um, necessarily off the first ring, what I do see when it comes to the possessiveness is wanting to keep Pharaoh away from all things possible and keeping her from learning the world that is Perinthian around her um, as much as possible by trying to hold her away in his manner. Now, this is also very true with the Court of Mist and Fury as well, too. So, you know, like with Fire Knight, well, there was, you know, absolutely good reason for both Tamlin and his emissary to say to Feyre, hey, stay in your room, don't emerge. And of course, obviously, Feyre, who could not contain the curiosity, emerged. You know, the fact that there's little information that is revealed as to what is really going on with Fire Knight, I kind of felt like, again, was a kind of um, distrust, you know, a sense of distrust, and also illustrating this sort of possessiveness. Um, also, I mean, the fact, like I said, again, you know, just the fact that, you know, like there, he can't really trust Feyre enough to mention what goes on with Fire Knight and why it would be dangerous for a mortal to go in and even just investigate uh, Fire Knight uh, was not really mentioned. Nothing's really mentioned. Just, you know, go into your room, lock your door, don't emerge. And um, I just, I kind of felt like that was a little, you know, a little skewered. Um, also, you know, it's, it's like with every other situation within A Court of Thorns and Roses, it seems like with Tamlin, he keeps advising Feyre to stay on the grounds, to stay in the manor, and really not allowing her to really go out, roam. I mean, she actually instigates this herself, but like kind of go out, go roam, 
and actually um, kind of investigate things. And especially with the Court of Mist and Fury, they're about ready to be married, both Feyre and Tamlin, and still he still can't trust her, even though now she's, you know, beyond mortal ability, she's actually Fey. Um, he still can't trust her to go out into his kingdom. Um, he still can't trust her to do A, B, C, and D. And I kind of feel like this sort of possessiveness can really dampen the relationship in the regard that, you know, he's not really trusting Feyre to be, you know, he's trusting himself to be his own person, but not really trusting Feyre to be her own person in the relationship. And instead just kind of like darkly guarding her a lot. Or as Rasand points out in A Court of Mist and Fury a little bit later, he kind of um, coddles Feyre a ton uh, when it comes to the manor. And I think that that's actually a, a good uh, description, good indication. But another thing that, like I said, that the, the um, Pluto trined his um, Venus position, even though it's a very favorable aspect, he can be very deep um, in his relationships with people. Um, he can be deeply loving and very intimate, but also just a you know very deep lover all the way around. I also kind of feel like the biggest drawback, like when, you know, this good, the good aspect is relied on too much, there is that sense of power and control. Not to mention that um, Tamlin's uh, Pluto influence is also outside of Thera's eighth house, actually. Um, so again, there is a lot of, you know, that is kind of focused on when it comes to obsession, when it comes to Thera. You know, like obsessively kind of guarding her, obsessively watching her every move, obsessively not allowing her out of the manor, not allowing her to explore Perinthian uh, very much. And it's, you know, it's kind of indicative to me that there's a lot of control issues when it comes to Tamlin. So this is one factor of their relationship that I deem to be unhealthy when looking at his chart in comparison to Feyre's chart as well, too. So um, one thing that I do recommend, especially with those who have any sort of aspects either in Taurus um, or any sort of aspects that are similar, like, you know, Venus in like either trined or, um, you know, even just any sort of aspect with Pluto, um, really... I think it's really beneficial to explore the first house themes when in a relationship. A relationship is not how you are indebted to me or how you are, how close you are to me forever and ever for, um, for that sake, which I know Torians are like, Hey, I'm dating you. So you, you belong to me. And sometimes that's the shadow side of the, of being in a relationship with them. I think that really um, anyone who has these sort of aspects, and I don't think it's just Taurus. I think anyone with the fixed signs like Scorpio, uh, Leo, Aquarius, need to kind of watch out for um, really stifling the other person's individuality with a sense of possessiveness and that sense of control. You know, like the biggest thing with Tamlin, not allowing Feyre out of his sight, not allowing her out of the manor, not allowing her to really learn fully about the new places to where she's going to live, or, you know, Perithian in general. And like I said, um, even in Fey form, not allowing her beyond his sight and beyond his control. And of course, growing 
overtly possessive of her and um, kind of not, you know, believing her when it comes to spending some time in night court with Rasand as well, too, even though um, Feyre had no control over that. But I think really exploring the first house issues. So first house issues being who am I in this relationship? Who is the other person in this relationship? How can we merge the I and the we in this relationship? How can we move beyond, you know, your mine and your mine only, your solely of my possession to, you know, you're your own individual. I am my own individual. How can we collaborate in this process? And I feel like with Tamlin in A Court of Thorns and Roses, and like I said, everybody in the Court of Thorns and Roses is like presenting the shadow side of their signs or of their aspects in their charts. Um, I really think that the biggest thing that Tamlin can really work on is who, you know, respecting who Feyre is. Feyre is going to always go into adventure, you know, that Sagittarius side of her. She's always going to seek adventure. She's always going to seek um, her curiosities. She's always going to do what she needs to do. I think really um, I have yet to see Tamlin respecting that um, in the novels. And I think really what he needs to work on more than anything is to respect that in order to make this relationship very healthy. In turn, I feel like Feyre should actually have a little more. I'm, I'm like hoping with the Court of Thorns and Roses that Feyre finds her voice and kind of develops more of a backbone to where she can kind of, you know, stand up to Tamlin and say, hey, you know, I really want to do A, B, C, and D. You know, I really want to emerge and learn more about Perithian. You know, you're not allowing me to do that um, when, when, you know, locking me in the manor. Um, you know, I really want you to step aside. Let me explore what I need to explore. I need you to support that. Yeah. And I think that that's also equally important um, to assert individuality, which I see um, that it really needs to happen within this relationship. I feel that the more that Tamlin and Feyre especially could um, really dive into first house issues, such as respecting each one's own individual, I think that really the relationship has a point to grow upon other than just pure passion all the way around. And also to the newlywed sort of state too, which I, I feel is indicative of the fifth house as well too. It's not really the grown up version of a relationship. It's like, it's, it's kind of like child's play, but, um, you know, I kind of feel like both persons are kind of perpetually in a honeymoon sort of phase when it comes to the relationship. In turn, um, something else that also struck me within, uh, Feyre and Tamlin's chart was that, so Feyre's, um, son is like one degree Capricorn. So she's actually technically in Capricorn on the cusp of Sagittarius, but theorized Tamlin's moon is actually outside of Capricorn. So what, how I looked at this, and I don't think that's really conjunct each other. What I do see is that both influences of the planet are, our planets are really close to each other. One good thing is I have mentioned in many episodes is that the sun and the moon kind of being together, um, really, helps um, one individual to feel heard ego-wise, the other individual to really be heard emotionally-wise. 
So it seems as though with Feyre, you know, with Tamlin, he's kind of impacting, he's kind of very soulful um, to her eye, you know, in, in her eyes, he's very soulful, he's very deep, he kind of connects with her, kind of connects with her sun sign big time and kind of connects with her as an individual. Um, also, Feyre, what, um, when she speaks, she kind of speaks to Tamlin on a very deep level and an intimate level as well, too, with that that moon sign. And one example I could kind of find in the novel was when Feyre had mentioned that she'd lost her mom. And, you know, even though she kind of felt her mom was rather cold and very calculating, the fact that she lost her mom, um, that she was still kind of somewhat mourning the loss of her mom. Um, and kind of upholding um, a promise that she had held uh, with her mom and taking care of her sisters. Tamlin could immediately identify with that in, you know, his relationship with his family dynamics and feel like he not only had to take care of his family, you know, and not, you know, rip things apart, but also take care of a burgeoning kingdom as well, too. So I kind of felt like even though with Feyre, it was kind of, you know, something that was in passing in a conversation, it really kind of struck a chord with Tamlin, um, very deep inside of himself, um, in a court of thorns and roses. So I do see, um, there's an understanding with one another, with that sun moon relationship, um, going on there. Of course, there is the, as I've mentioned in the real housewives of, um, Atlanta with Drew and Sonia, sometimes there can also be a sense of loss or competition with the sun and moon combination such as this. So for example, usually the moon person embodies the sun, the sign, um, a little bit more than the sun person, mainly because we are truly our moon signs. Um, we evolve into our sun signs over time. So with Feyre and Tamlin, sometimes I feel like with Feyre, she might feel as though Tamlin really embodies the Capricorn mental that she is missing in her life or that she's still growing into in her life. And that can make her feel a little deficient. Um, one way in which I do see this in A Court of Thorns and Roses is that whenever she wakes up, Tamlin's gone. He's always taking care of matters of his kingdom, not always at liberty to tell Feyre what's going on. And it kind of makes her feel as though she's being left out of matters that um, pertain to her. You know, she's a new resident in Perithian. She should have some knowledge of what's going on on the lands as well, too. She really starts to feel that sense of FOMO or really starts to feel, I don't even want to say it's FOMO. I would say she really starts to feel very left out when, you know, Tamlin just kind of, you know, resort, kind of reserves her to be in the manor um, and to sustain the manor basically the whole entire time, not only bringing up traumatic situations, but also, you know, it's just like kind of, putting her down almost, or kind of putting her in her place in a sense, you know, women belong in the manor while the guys roam out in the, the land. And here she is, she's about ready to become a high fae, you know, and kind of like queen of the springlands of Perinthian. And here she is, she kind of feels left out and not being able to attend equally the matters of Perinthian. It's almost as though with Tamlin, he's being like quasi sexist, in kind of placing Feyre in the typical role of what women are supposed to do. 
um, in Prithi or what high ladies are supposed to do as well. And I think, um, it would also harbor a scent, uh, or sorry, it would harbor a sense of resentment, um, especially when she finds out from Rasand that there is a burgeoning war in a court of mist and fury that Tamlin's not making Feyre pretty privy to. And I think that would also equally make Feyre feel very left out and also very much like she is not trusted to even be responsible for her new home. And for the, you know, basically what, what is becoming her new home. And it might be a sense of, Hey, what, what is going on? Um, so that's, I think the other flip side with Tamlin and Feyre's relationship with their sun and moon combination, the best way again, that I would recommend, um, this relationship grow a little more healthy in this regard with Tamlin, especially Include Feyre in all matters and trust. Again, I, it goes back to the possessiveness and trust issues that I was discussing about earlier. I really think, you know, with Tamlin, involve Feyre as much as possible in all matters. And I think this kind of speaks towards relationships. You know, when we're in a honeymoon phase of a relationship, you know, we want to, we sometimes also compartmentalize the relationship toward, um, compared to what we do, but I think it's, it kind of goes without saying, um, allow the other person into your world, trust the other person enough to allow them to be in your space, to be in your world and not have this, you know, I'm off, um, taking care of matters while you are, you know, separate away from me, you know, this sort of, like I said, a sort of compartmentalized situation that is, is going on. Um, I, I think the more that in a couple, not only if we respect and trust one another, the more that we allow, if we respect each other enough to allow each other into our own individual realms, I think that's a good basis for having the relationship to grow closer. Not only to mention, you know, um, when it comes to laying off possessiveness or when it comes to laying off of you know, just being really compartmentalized or controlling as Tamlin can be, um, you know, you kind of lessen the burden that control brings into the relationship and also possessiveness brings into the relationship when you just let that go and you let the other person be who they are and not like fit a mold that you want them to be in and just kind of let them be their own person, and yet also involve them in your matters. I think with Tamlin, the relationship could grow even closer with Feyre if he just lets her kind of deal with matters of Perinthian, um, especially matters pertaining to the Spring Court, just a bit more. And, you know, if there's something that's deficient, teaching her what is deficient and giving her a chance, you know, especially with the oncoming battle, um, instead of just having you know, with Tamlin having his emissary right along with him, have Feyre in the room as well, too. And, you know, if, if she's lacking in strategy, um, she's lacking in, you know, obviously she's very illiterate in both novels, both A Court of Mist and Fury and um, A Court of Thorns and Roses, you know, teaching her the skills necessary to be sufficient. Something that I'm seeing Rasand doing as a matter of fact so we'll we'll be diving into Rasan's chart in just a moment. Also within Pharaoh's chart, we have her sun, or not her sun, her moon and her Venus points 
being in Aries um, in her fourth house, which means that in her sense of home, her sense of home was harmonious um, despite matters with her mom, um, despite resentment with her sisters, with her youngest sister, Nesta, especially. But matters at home were usually pretty harmonious. In regards to Tamlin, though, within the relationship, um, his Mars is actually right outside that moon, Venus. And I also added Neptune in that relationship because sometimes I just feel like with Pharaoh, she can be rather, you know, um, she kind of, you know, really uh, idealizes Tamlin a lot or she's very quick to idealize someone. And I feel, um, you know, kind of leads her astray a little bit. Um, she doesn't really see the biggest and the fullest of pictures, and I mean, I could see where Jupiter could be in this, but um, whereas Jupiter, I think, is trying to be more expansive in the relationship and trying to understand the other person a little bit more, it just seems like with with Feyre, she falls into like an objectification as well as um, idealization of Tamlin that she's just trusting him blindly with everything or just kind of loving him blindly, even though technically, especially in a court of thorns and roses, she doesn't really know him all too well. But uh, with Tamlin's Mars being right outside of Pharaoh's Venus, as well as moon's posi positions, I see Tamlin um, actually producing a sense of urgency and producing a sense of, prematurity in the relationship um, that I already see is there with Feyre, um, with her moon and her Venus positions already being in Aries. Um, you know, she's very quick to love already. She's already very impulsive, already rather foolhardy. And it seems like instead of pointing this out and helping Feyre and kind of teaching her, kind of letting her learn her lessons as to how being foolhardy can be foolish um, in the end, it seems like he just kind of instigate, instigates this and kind of um, produces more of that foolhardiness with Feyre, which I kind of feel, I mean, while he's igniting passion, um, while he seems to be igniting romance, sure, it's like he seems to be igniting, you know, a very impulsivity within the relationship. Let, you know, let's do this here. Let's do this now sort of situation. And I kind of feel like instead of um, benefiting Feyre, it kind of makes Feyre fall into vices that she already has and that I feel like she needs to grow from in the relationship as well. As if that's not enough, Tamlin's Mars is also um, sextile, you know, Feyre's Mars position, which does very nicely for chemistry. But as I always advocate, chemistry is not everything when it comes to a relationship. And again, I feel like Mars on Mars, I always um, say, you know, whether it's sextile, whether it's in a good relationship or a good position or bad position, I always kind of remain a little leery of this in relationships because it means to me that both people are very, while they have a ton of chemistry, they also kind of ignite a sense of foolhardiness in each other. And I don't find that, you know, um, I kind of find that relationships are really, while you're respecting the other person, while you're loving the other person, that there is chemistry, that there is romance and chemistry and romance are very good things in a relationship. I also see where, 
You know, a really healthy relationship is where both persons really learn from one another um, over time. And really the um, one person kind of opens the other person's. It's like both people open each other's eyes to the world at large and open each other's eyes, not only to themselves, but also to bigger matters that pertain to the world at large. I'm seeing a lot of impulsivity in this relationship. I really think like with Tamla and Feyre, they need to kind of cool it down a little bit. They're very quick to love. They're very impulsive um, to love, really. And I kind of feel that when it comes to these sort of aspects, um, really, it, it's it, it doesn't really um, benefit in the long term. I mean, you know, the, the impulsivity um, and igniting a ton of passion, you know, I, I just kind of see where the relationship could burn out. And I can also see where, you know, it's just, it's very, again, kind of very surface at the same, by the same token, you know, you're kind of igniting both people to be very foolhardy um, and not really learn from their lessons. I think the the best way to grow from this is really, again, to step back before diving into um, matters of the relationship and I really think, you know, trying to see what else is available um, in the relationship that both persons can gain from and cultivate from. And, you know, if you've listened to my podcast for a while, you guys always know that I'm a big advocate for also deep connections. Um, I think it just kind of goes without saying I really favor a more complex character. I favor somebody who's a little deeper who kind of probes a bit deeper um, into the relationship and kind of reveals a little bit more, kind of opens someone's eyes a little bit more. I kind of find that more intriguing than just a surface, very chemistry-oriented, um, emotion-filled, hormone-filled as well, too, sort of relationship as I'm seeing with Tamlin and Feyre. Overall, Stargazers, to rate the health of this relationship, um, I kind of think that this is not the most, the healthiest of relationships. I think, you know, there are some good starts. I really don't, I think Feyre was right to um, kind of retreat or kind of um, be a little leery in marrying Tamlin in A Court of Mist and Fury. Um, and, you know, in the regard that's not only that she, you know, not only in the regard that it's not, you know, the relationship is just not ready to go there just yet, but of also other matters um, that were kind of brushed aside, such as, you know, she's undergoing a lot of trauma um, from going through Amaranthus court that's like just being swept under the rug. So I think in this regard, um, this relationship is not very, not at its healthiest and that it could use some work. Um, all the way around. I think, um, you know, I, I was kind of, I, I kind of felt like back and forth about the relationship in A Court of Thorns and Roses, because while it seemed like both persons were um, kind of getting to know one another and respect each other's boundaries for a little while, it just kind of, it, it was kind of hot and cold. There are times where Tamlin respected Feyre, Feyre respected Tamlin. And then there are other times where just out of all, all of a sudden out of the blue, there'd be a different shift um, in emotion. And I, you know, I just don't, whenever there's like um, a lot of back and forth and push and pull when it comes to the relationship, I don't really deem it as being very stable and very healthy 
Um, I see this as being a very young relationship um, that could have some potential, but it just needs to, I, I think there's some things that need to develop a little bit. I think for Feyre, a little less of the foolhardiness. And I think for Tamlin, um, really working on possession and control. Kind of moving on to Feyre and Rissand. Okay, this chart was extremely interesting because um, I also had had a question as to whether or not Rissand actually brings about a healthy relationship with uh, Feyre, even though she begins hating him big time. You know, not only does she hate him in A Court of Thorns and Roses, she starts off Court of Mist and Fury completely hating him um, for what, um, you know, the kind of the packs that he made, you know, especially when she had a warm bone sticking out of her arm. Um, you know, she was growing a fever, you know, Rasand, you know, offered to heal her at a cost. And she hated that that bargaining. She hated the cost. So she therefore hates her sand for a little while, um, which I think is a shame because um, due to the fact that Rasand has um, not only his son, his Mars placements, actually has his son and Mars placements in Scorpio, and they're actually outside Thera's 11th house. So one thing that I see where this is a benefit, as I see with most Scorpio, so Again, there's the shadow side um, of Scorpio where it can be very fixed with the macabre, where they can be very fixated with sex, where they can be very fixated with loyalty and also be equally, probably like equally possessive as Taurus can be. Um, by the same token, um, the thing that I really admire about Scorpios is that they blow the garbage lid off of the, the garbage can that is full of BS. And I see that often with Rasand, um, even in A Court of Thorns and Roses. From A Court of Thorns and Roses to A Court of Mist and Fury, you know, it basically with Yofera, where she's suffering in Amaranthus Court, he's very quick to, and also, um, I don't want to say just quick, but he actually has the audacity and the courage to actually express what the hell is going on and the fact that Feyre is getting deluded into thinking otherwise, you know, like with the warm bone sticking out of her arm, for instance, you know, he was the first one to point out, it's like, Hey, that bone's poisoning you. Hey, you're having a fever. You're about ready to die. I'm willing to heal you. You know, even though it's at a cost, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of minimizing the cost for what I, I have, or, you know, I'm minimizing this cost so I can just genuinely heal you and help you out. Um, I also think uh, what I really appreciate about Rasand is at, in A Court of Mist and Fury, he blows the lid off when it comes to um, Feyre facing through matters of PTSD and trauma. You know, actually at her wedding uh, to Tamlin, it just sounded like she was having like the equivalent of a PTSD and also a combination of PTSD and an anxiety attack, which is horrible. You know, there's lots of people standing around her. She felt kind of cloistered in as though she were back in her cell in Amaranthus court. There were blood red petals that were falling, you know, um, instead of being romantic, it kind of reminded her of the massive bloodshed that occurred in Amaranthus court, therefore re-triggering her as well. And then the expectation, you know, the, you know, everybody kind of expecting her to join Tamlin and to get married to her 
you know, that kind of came back to she's uh, she felt as though she were not a good person. She took to Faye's lives by her own hands and all of that, um, the guilt, the the grief, the everything that kind of, you know, washed up during that time, during that traumatic time, washed up um, during this this wedding. And I think, like I said, what I respect with Rosand even more is that he actually points that out to Feyre. It's like, you know, you're puking in the toilet. You're not doing well. You know, you, there's, there's something wrong. And it had to do with what happened under the mountain, you know, in Amarantha's court. So I would say with Rosand, there's a little bit of that appreciation on the Scorpio front, um, especially with the son's position where he's kind of being a little more revelatory to Feyre and kind of really waking her up a little bit more to reality a little bit. Um, you know, I, I kind of noticed that his positions are right outside of Feyre's 11th house, which can be good. Um, he's exposing her to social situations. The one thing that I kind of find that's unhealthy about this relationship is that his Mars placement is also outside her 11th house. So it feels as though with Feyre, she doesn't really have much of a choice when it comes to socializing. It's kind of like, you know, with Rosand, it's just, hey, get ready, we're going to go out. Or, hey, get ready, we're going to socialize in this in this particular court. Um, kind of like in A Court of Thorns and Roses, you know, he doesn't really make Feyre pretty privy to his plan of overthrowing Amarantha. And so instead he just kind of, you know, requires his two consorts from his court to dress Feyre up and then he takes her to court and um, to, you know, Amarantha's court and just, you know, kind of um, makes her do certain promiscuous things like dance between his legs and almost feel, almost kind of make her feel a little humiliated, um, you know, just mainly because there's just a lack of, I'm seeing a lot with this, with these novels, there's a lot of lack of communication. But uh, I can see where um, in this instance, this is a great example of Mars being in the 11th house of here, we're going to go socialize. I'm going to throw you out into the into the wide blue yonder without really, um, you know, kind of, you know, explaining why and also explaining what my theories or what my plan of attack happens to be, you know, hence leaving Feyre in the dark and kind of wondering what the hell Rasan's doing with her. The other thing that kind of struck me about Rosand is that not only his, so I theorize that his moon and Venus positions definitely are in Aquarius, um, mainly because he's a very, um, as Babs Kirby would, would mention that, uh, a lot of people who have either aspects in, in Aquarius or a sun or moon in Aquarius can be very distant when first in a relationship. Like they're more um, kind of like the Gandalf figure or a mentor um, sort of figure. Um, they begin kind of being like a mentor figure, not really being very close in the relationship, but then develop, like slowly develop affection along the way. But I definitely see that relationship with Rasand when it comes to Feyre. Um, I mean, he's willing to help her out. Definitely. He's willing to advise her. He's willing to lift the lid of um, BS when it comes to, um, you know, her trauma and when it comes to such, you know, certain situations in A Court of Thorns and Roses. But, um, you know, he really doesn't get very close to Feyre as what I'm seeing. You know, he's willing to 
teach her how to shield, teach her how to read. Two very necessary skills, I feel, if you're in a, a fey court. Um, he's even uh, kind of making Feyre privy to the war that's advancing on Perinthian from the King of Hybern in the second novel, The um, Court of Mist and Fury. I mean, he's doing all these things, but like I said, he's not really being very affectionate towards Feyre. It's kind of like he's, you know, kind of, again, kind of like a teacher, kind of like a mentor. You know, even in A Court of Thorns and Roses, yes, he believes in Feyre, but he's not really mushy and gushy about it. It's like he just, he believes Feyre has potential, um, especially with uh, Feyre dodging the, um, the worm in Amarantha's court. You know, he, um, he was the only one who bet that Feyre would win against the worm and that, you know, he had every bit of, you know, confidence in Feyre and her hunting skills. Um, however, you know, like I said, again, it, he's not very mushy gushy and he's not very promoting affairs. It's, it's a very distant form of support and appreciation that he holds for her as well, too. I also, um, well, I see these things kind of floating outside uh, Pharaoh's second house. I also um, kind of theorized with his son that um, because, you know, it seems like every character in Perinthian has a situation with their dads, you know, kind of pitting them against their brothers in order to establish who's best for the court. Uh, Rosand kind of went along rather easily with his father's plan. And so I kind of mentioned, you know, maybe his son was squared Saturn, as opposed to where with Tamlin, he had more of a very tumultuous relationship with his dad, um, you know, due to power um, struggles. Um, hence why I, I kind of thought of Pluto um, for him. But with Rassand, I kind of felt like um, Saturn also being outside the second house was pretty befitting as well for him. But I kind of noticed with um, the second house, not just um, increasing monetary funds, but second house also represents that of security and, um, you know, like kind of secure what, what makes the relationship secure. And I kind of feel those are the things that Rassand really teaches Feyre about in the Court of Mist and Fury, or the Court of, sorry, the Court of Thorns and Roses, as well as the Court of Mist and Fury. Um, you know, just things that are really important to his relationship with um, Feyre, as well, his distant relationship with Feyre, might I add, and also things that are really important for Feyre to learn when it comes to skill set. And I kind of felt like um, Saturn was pretty, um, a pretty befitting choice out there because, he tends to teach, so unlike where Tamlin kind of allows, um, you know, Feyre to investigate her own interests, such as painting, and not really teach her how to read, you know, she's, her literacy is kind of getting in the way of her survival. Um, you know, with Rassand, he's teaching her what's necessary. You know, while curiosity is all nice and well, he's also teaching her what's really practical and necessary for her realm or for living in Perinthian, whether in the spring court or whether getting on um, in the night court um, when or when in the night court with um, Rosand. So um, I kind of see that as like establishing brass tacks with her. And then I also see, you know, he's distantly giving her the emotional support with her, his moon being outside the second house 
as well as loving support. Um, I think eventually he, you know, their relationship starts to turn into a very loving relationship um, as the, as the series tends to move along. I still have yet to discover that as to how that is, but I'm, I'm having some high hopes right now since I do like, um, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm going to just say I do kind of like Rasand. I really don't know if it's my Leo son that's in opposition to his moon and all his positions. That's kind of bringing the attraction with me, but I kind of feel like he holds some promise. Um, you know, he actually looks at Feyre's, you know, well-being and what she really needs in the novel, as opposed to where I feel like Tamlin just glosses over it and focuses on himself more. And I, I kind of feel like with Rasand, he brings a deeper complexity and a bigger, a deeper quality to the relationship that he has with Feyre, albeit being a little distant as well. Now, some things, you know, Rasand's not completely perfect um, in the, his relationship with Feyre. I kind of feel that when it comes, well, actually, what I do notice with his chart is that the Sun and Mars are actually squared his Moon, Venus, as well as Saturn positions in Aquarius. And I kind of look at this as his ego is at odds with his emotional nature, whereas emotional nature is very cool. It can be very calculated. It can be very distant. Scorpio can also be very here and now and upfront and kind of like with Aries very here right now we need to do things right now and i kind of feel like these two sides of him can be at odds at times um you know when when it comes to inside of himself and having to strike a fine balance but i feel like this kind of you know brings some tension in the relationship that while he is at odds while he's not always favoring his more emotional intuitive nature, or he might favor the Scorpio side as opposed to the Aquarius side, or his Aquarius side might favor as opposed to the Scorpio side, you know, that sort of conflict could bring about a sense of confusion for Feyre in the relationship, as well as a sense of tension. So I think with Rasand, um, really noticing like what is really um, a common balance between the two signs would really help him out um, to not only make peace inside of himself, but also to not be like two people, you know, like two different people in the relationship. Um, I think the biggest thing is that um, Scorpio also loves strategy just as much as Aquarius can. Um and I think that could really, you know, again, he could bring some depth or his son's side could bring some depth into the strategy that he has both for his kingdom and also the strategy that he's had to employ throughout his whole entire life. Um, you know, in turn, I feel like when he comes to that healthy balance of how to foster his logical side um, and kind of deepen that um, with his Scorpio side. You kind of feel like he has that ability to not be two different people um, in front of Feyre and, you know, kind of be a united front uh, for the relationship. The other factor, of course, was that Feyre's um, son, or actually her, I keep saying son, her moon, Venus, and Neptune positions are actually quincunxed Rasan's uh, son and Mars positions in Scorpio. 
So Thera's moon and Venus positions, as well as Neptune position, is in Aries. Aries and Scorpio are quincunx each other. So what I see is that Thera's emotional needs, her relationship needs, are actually compartmentalized from what Rasand needs, like his ego needs, um, also his motivations as well, too. And so it can feel as though the two are very separate from each other. And this aspect, this compartmentalization, you know, it's like, you know, this, there's you and then there's me can really also put a strain on a relationship. I think, in fact, with Feyre, she's mentioned as to how annoying it kind of gets in the relationship that she's like kind of put to the side while Rasand has his big, you know, aha and brilliant moments. Um, so I think one thing that could really help with the relationship again is to see a common ground. I think with Feyre's moon, um, you know, with her loving style, with her emotional style, she is rather quick. Um, she can be rather impulsive, but she ha she acts from a good standing in her heart. You know, even though she's very here and now and let's do this right now. Um, I mean, she does, you know, try to act within a better um, mentale, you know, such as going into Amaranthus court without a second thought in order to save Tamlin, you know, the, the man that she loves, and also to save his court and save all of Perinthian, the land that in which he grew up, the man that she loves grew up in, and also where he lives as well, too. So, I mean, her heart's in the right place in this regard. But I feel like her ambition and her willingness to just kind of go into situations can also be very similar to Sand um, in the regard that he has his ambitions and he likes to move his ambitions forward. Um, Scorpio can be, um, they're not rather, they're not impulsive. They do think behind their decisions, but they are quick to make their decisions and kind of steamroll their, the propel and steamroll their decisions forward. So I feel like this is something that both characters have in common, and this is something where they could basically help each other with. You know, I think Rasan could help Feyre to really refine her impulses and really, you know, again, you know, kind of act on a worthy cause for sure, but also, you know, probably think about things or think about the consequences before just acting. So she's not doing, you know, kind of acting foolhardedly. I think in turn, Feyre can also inspire Rasand um, or can actually prompt Rasand to make um, decisions a little more promptly. You know, it's like, hey, you've given this enough thought. I think it's time to act on this. So I think that's where both um, persons could benefit each other with that quincunx. Also, um, so Feyre also has an opposition between her Mars position and her son's position. And I kind of feel like, again, um, it's an opposition between a sexual nature, her impulsive nature, and her ego as well, too. So kind of like with Rasand um, in making peace with two opposite signs and two opposite sides of him. I feel like Feyre needs to do the same thing uh, when it comes to her sexual nature and her um, her goals, her dreams, merging that in with her sense of self.
you know, a good example is, you know, kind of figuring out what she would like within Perinthian and really um, kind of merging that with her soul, with a soul purpose, so to speak, you know, kind of figure out what she wants in her life as well and kind of merging that with her soul purpose so that she can learn how to implement what she needs um, in her life and really benefit from um, her life as well as from the relationships that she has. And I feel like her relationship to Rasand is no different. I also feel like Rasand would be very willing to help her with skills to develop whatever is in um, whatever she feels needs to happen for Perinthian or whatever she feels needs to happen in her life in general. And I feel like he'd be very supportive of that as well, too. So on the whole, while there's some things to work out and some patches to mend, I think as a whole, Rasand is kind of pushed to the side as just being the bad guy a little too quickly in A Core of Thorns and Roses. And also we're kind of seeing his side a little bit more with A Core of Mist and Fury. And I think uh, the relationship has a complexity and a richness to it. So I kind of feel like there's some healthiness to it. Um, you know, some reality to it. It's not just a very young honeymoonish sort of relationship. There's some maturity to it. And I feel like um, both Feyre and Rasand could bring a lot to one another. It's just kind of repairing some quincunxes and some oppositions in each other's charts. All right, last but not least, Amarantha and Hamlin's relationship. So, um, I actually found this relationship to be interesting and the composite charts to be rather interesting between the two. So when it comes down to Amarantha, her uh, positions in Scorpio, particularly her son, Venus, and Mars positions in Scorpio hit right outside of Tamlin's seventh house. Also, there is an opposition at play between Tamlin's sun sign being in Taurus and Amarantha's sun sign, uh, Venus sign, and Mars sign being in Scorpio. Now, I mean, oppositions are not completely unfavorable. It's not like, oh, there's an opposition here. It's doom and gloom. No, I feel that uh, when it comes to oppositions, they can be rather beneficial um, however, just as the name implies, there are two opposites that are attracting. So in the case of Scorpio and Taurus, um, while Scorpio loves to lift the lid on nitty gritty truths, and they like to expose the truths into light and really enlighten society about the ills that are occurring within it, um, Taurus likes to enjoy the finer sides, of life and also the, the happier sides, you know, being Venus world, the happier sides of life. So in this regard, I kind of feel that they're at an opposite. However, um, Taurus's naivete really would attract Scorpio very much so to them. Um, just in the regard of, Hey, how can I, further inform this individual of the realities of life or how can I inform this individual? How can I help to shape this individual? You know, not necessarily mold the individual, but how to shape and help this individual to grow. I think in turn with uh, Taurus, Scorpio holds a lot of maturity that they feel that they can not only learn from, but 
they can like shed some light into the darkness of Scorpio's life. And I feel such is the case with Tamlin and Amarantha. Um, Amarantha seems to be really the shadow side of Scorpio in the macabre sense. You know, she's very, you know, vindictive, um, especially with Jurian's eye being in a ring, having his bone on a long chain, you know, making the eye of Jurian move, meaning that his soul was actually in the ring of Amarantha. And also, um, you know, really just like, you know, kind of prizing uh, basically battle kill um in her own home is kind of like I said the the extreme macabre version of Scorpio like kind of the really bad shadow side like the the immature side of Scorpio I kind of um you know like I said again I kind of feel like with Tamlin you know she with Amarantha she might have had kind of like a dark side to her um, and exposing truths and kind of living down truths when it came to her sister and her death. And I feel like with Tamlin, he wanted to expose some light into her life, which Amarantha welcomed. I think the instant repulsion in this relationship was obviously Amarantha's macabre nature. Um, it was kind of like she was kind of digging um, a hole for herself when it came to her vengeful self and her macabre side that um, it was really hard for Tamlin. It, actually, Tamlin kind of felt like it might have just been impossible to dig her out of that. And of course, with um, I think with Amarantha, she wasn't too happy with that, that decision. I think she wanted Tamlin's lightness, but also wanted some sympathy from him when it came to having to go into that dark, macabre place, um, especially with her sister's death. So with Amarantha's moon also being, well, actually, let me back up a little bit. With her Venus sign being in Scorpio, is actually um, trined Tamlin's Venus sign being in Pisces, I really felt like they had a potential for a, a, a nice deep relationship. I mean, um, Scorpio would appreciate Pisces in the regard that they're very romantic. They're very compassionate. They always think of the other person before themselves. And I think the Piscean side of Tamlin would really love Amarantha's um, Scorpio side in the regard that they're very loyal um, they're very supportive and they, they bring like a very stable environment for Pisces to kind of open up a little bit more. And especially when it comes to their spiritual side, you know, the fact that they're kind of like one foot's in the spiritual realm, one foot's in the, the physical realm. You know, they kind of, um, with Scorpios, they kind of provide the, the stable security for that relationship. So I kind of see that they had a, d a deep relationship. Um, within their time together. Um, there were some pitfalls, again, you know, with their moon's positions. Um, I kind of feel like with Amarantha's moon's position being in um, Gemini, you know, um, it was kind of uh, quincunx that of Tamlin's moon's position in Aries. So, or sorry, no, scratch that, in Capricorn. So sorry, in Capricorn. So it was kind of quincunx each other. Um, being quincunxed as it was, 
Um, it, it seems like both of their emotional in the relationship, both Tamlin and Amarantha's emotional natures were definitely compartmentalized um, in the relationship. Tamlin felt like he needed to take care of matters and practical matters while Amarantha needed communication. And sometimes that was not very forthcoming with Tamlin. So I could see where this was quite the frustration for them both. I think that, again, the best thing that they could have done is see the similarities between the two of them. So, you know, similarities between Gemini and Capricorn, this can be rather tricky, but I think both individuals tend to look into life a little bit. Um, you know, Gemini researching more into life and coming up with theories onto life or really what theories are very intriguing, what works, whereas Capricorns like to have more of a practical on sense of their knowledge of life. So I think really if they had merged those two approaches together um, emotionally, they could have really worked some things out in their relationship. Um, I think above all, I mean, um, you know, all the way around with Tamla and Amarantha, I was kind of surprised with the, the two charts here, but I kind of felt like, yeah, they did actually have a very deep, um, again, a very passionate relationship. And I wouldn't be surprised if maybe Tamlin carried on his affair with Amarantha uh, shortly before Feyre came into the picture, almost making it kind of like a an affair or making Feyre, an, you know, Feyre, his relationship with Feyre an affair a little bit. But um, I really feel like, like I said, they had a, a deep relationship and I kind of, um, however, you know, there were some tragic things that really kind of got in the way of that. I really feel that if Amarantha were a little more healthy, um, instead of just going for the scorpion side of Scorpio and really like more towards the eagle side of Scorpio, Scorpio's three totems. So that's uh, the scorpion, uh, the phoenix, and the eagle. If she'd gone more towards the, the eagle and the phoenix side, I really feel like um, that relationship could have benefited a lot more than just going towards that shadowy dark macabre side of her personality and i think that was the big thing that kind of caused the relationship to tumble downhill for the two of them um otherwise i think it, it did have some potential and some possibilities all right stargazer so this is what i have for now when it comes to the relationships in a court of thorns and roses and also in a court of mist and fury I hope this was enjoyable. I hope it was kind of um, an interesting, enjoyable, informative sort of episode for those of you who have read A Core of Thorns and Roses and also um, the, the series. Uh, please let me know if you're an astrologer and you have read A Court of Thorns and Roses. You know, if you disagree, let me know in the comments or if you agree or if you have different insights, let me know. Um, you can also let me know if you have any questions or comments. Um, you can contact me at my Instagram page at Sandra.Misek, that is M-I-S-E-K, or you can also email those questions to me at Misek.Sandra at gmail.com. Again, Misek is spelled M-I-S-E-K. Above all, stargazers, I do hope that you guys are all nice and well. The moon is waning from her full self and, you know, just really igniting the sky. 
Um, you know, I think do not be afraid to look up at the stars. Not only we're we looking at the origins of astrology, but also it kind of gives us like a mindful break from all the, the, the situations that can occur within life and, you know, really just kind of help us to be whole, happy and healthy. And speaking of being whole, happy and healthy, Stargazers, I do hope that you guys, I hope that I'm finding you well and healthy and in wonderful spirits. And I do um, advocate that you remain so uh, throughout this week and until, um, you know, between now and next week, be well, Stargazers, and I will talk with you then. If also you are interested in becoming a Patreon to this podcast, please visit patreon.com forward slash seventh house astrology to become a member for as little as $2 a month and also to learn more details on how on becoming that Patreon.